and welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins. Cousins from under center, straight drop, it's another deep shot, center of the field, on the run, 2015 Welcome to Under Center with Kirk Cousins, presented by Fleet Farm. Well, Kirk, the, the Tampa Bay game uh, started with such promise and ended with s- such disappointment. What in actually hits you the hardest in hindsight about the loss on Sunday? Well, I think about the sacks that we took in, in the field goal range area uh, that either forced us to punt or made a field goal much more difficult. I think of those individual plays, how we could have either converted the third down or if nothing else, you know, got an incompletion. Um, those plays hurt uh, because they most directly affect points, and points are how you win games or lose games. So um, those are the plays I think about. We had four sacks in the field goal range, red zone area, um, and those were the ones that hurt the most. Uh, there's a several others you can go back to and point at, you know, a couple missed reads here or there. Um, you know, a couple missed screen opportunities that we felt could have been some big plays. Um, but all game long, uh, the, the Buccaneers defense really prevented us from hitting explosive plays. They mm-hmm. uh, played a pretty soft zone, kept things in front of them, chose to double Adam and Justin quite a bit on third down. Um, but they weren't going to let us get the 50-yard bomb, and we were going to have to chip away. And, and, and we did. Uh, much of the game. We had long drives, long time of possession, converted some fourth downs to stay on the field. But once we got in the red zone or field goal range, you know, we had to finish the drives and come away with touchdowns. And instead we were coming away really with no points. And, um, you know, that's probably where it hurts the most is the end of those drives. Because of uh, the inability to hit those explosive plays is the Statistic the 39 minutes of possession time is that a little misleading because it could be really overwhelming if you look at that just in face value. Yeah, and it goes back to they prevented explosives. So we, we were on the field. Uh, we weren't going to score quickly because of the way they were defending us much of the game. Um, but we were able to stay on the field. And I think it also goes back to the run game being effective. You know, we were aware that they were one of the top run defenses in the NFL, statistically speaking. And we knew it might be an uphill day running the football, um, but that really wasn't the case. They were, we were consistently able to run the ball throughout the game, and uh, that also lent itself well to possessing the ball because the clock's running as you run the ball, and um, you know it kept us on the field. I thought that was a really real positive, you know, and I think true to just give our defense a rest and not have them out on the field all game, um, but. Points are the name of the game, and yards mm-hmm. and time of possession you can point to, uh, but you have to come away with points, and that's why scoring touchdowns instead of even kicking field goals is so important to me and to our offense. Yeah, you had 71 yards, I believe, rushing in the first quarter. You kept Tom Brady on the sidelines for all but one drive, I believe. So it seemed like you guys wanted to stay, and you were committed to the run and may have uh, taken the Buccaneers by surprise a little bit because they have had so much success defending uh, the run. But Dalvin Cook is a special special kind of running back. Yeah, he and he's had an unbelievable year. I believe he leads the NFL in touchdowns, and that kind of says it all. And even his touchdown run was hard-earned, and he had mm-hmm. to fight to find a way to get into the end zone. Um, several times throughout the game, you know, the run didn't look good, but he found a way to push or bounce or uh, slip through to get us a positive gain. 
uh, did a great job. And I thought Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah did a great job as well, jumping in. You know, Alex Madison's been out, um, was able to give Dalvin a breather, which I think is important. You know, we can't just wear him out. And um, they did a great job running the ball. You took that 6 nothing lead, and I think uh, it was a 3-and-out for Tampa Bay. And you got the ball right back, and you had a little pitch and catch with Justin Jefferson for 17 yards. But you mentioned they were doubling him. Uh, do you have to attack, look at his uh, getting the ball to him a little differently? Uh, and our defense is doing that more, trying to take the deep ball away from Justin. Well, they, they were at times yesterday. Most of it was third down. Uh, in first and second down, I think they played a variety of coverages as we expected. Uh, they pretty much played their identity. But um, uh, certainly they were a little softer. You know, even when it was one-on-one, the corner was going to stay on top, keep things in front of him. It did open up some underneath throws, uh, which we were able to hit. But um, it did prevent the, the explosive plays that we have seen so much this year from him and from our offense. And... Um, uh, you know, it was a, a different approach by the Tampa Bay defense. Um, but, uh, you know, if we were to see that type of look again in the coming weeks, we'll be we'll be ready. Well, Kirk, you mentioned at the outset the, the take of the sacks at the most inopportune time uh, hurt uh, the ability to kind of cash in in the red zone. You had that third and seven at the 11. You were in the shotgun and you got sacked on that play. It was a six nothing lead. It could have been at that point, who knows? Thirteen nothing at the least, nine nothing. But unfortunately, because Dan Bailey missed that field goal, you kind of got you got stuck at six. But the sack was the one that probably had to frustrate you more than anything else. Yeah, I just think that when you know you don't want to make it harder on your field goal unit, and so anytime you're you're jogging off the field and the field goal unit's running on, you want to know that you gave them every chance by either you know getting more yards or getting back to the line of scrimmage. So the sack is really difficult um, to take. And, and I, I know that, you know, it's just um, you're in the heat of battle and you're trying to make a play and you're trying to hang on to a play or, or make somebody miss. Um, and, you know, uh, you, you wish when you watch it back that you could ditch the ball and just throw it away. And, uh, and you wonder, you know, that's what you're left thinking on the flight home is, you know, if I, if I do ditch the ball, do we make those field goals because of the yard difference that you save? And, and you don't know, but those are the thoughts that go through your mind when you replay the games over and over. And, um, um, you know, you just hate to leave points on the, uh, you know, out there whenever, whenever it happens. Kirk, in addressing the, the Dan Bailey situation, he's had such a successful career and the frustration must be building up inside his head like uh, no one even could even imagine. But his skill set, what kickers do, is unlike anything else that happens on the football field. And because of that, uh, you want to feel part of the team, and then when things aren't going well, you're you're so in isolation. So how does it, how do his teammates? How do you guys handle it with Dan and, and going forward and the rest of it? When psychologically he he wants to get himself right. Yeah, I mean Dan's had such a productive career, and uh, he's made so many big kicks for us. Um, you know, and he's a veteran. He's been through this before. Um, you know, he's done it for a long time, and uh, he's a great teammate. And, and we're there for him. And I know so little about kicking and so little about special teams that most of the time my approach is to just keep my distance because I know that uh, I'm not going to help, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I'm supportive. I'm encouraging. And uh, I, I enjoy relating to, you know, our special teams guys. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't know enough to to interject or, or provide any kind of insight. So yeah, I kind of stay in my lane. 
Yeah, it's tough because you almost look at it as like you play golf a lot, like a golf swing and things just happen sometimes. You want to overcorrect, and the next thing you know, you're over right, you're over left, and you know you can do it, and it's just a matter of getting back to doing it in practice and, of course, in game time, which really matters the most. The last five minutes of the first half, I don't even know how to capsulize it. It was such a mess. Uh, it, there was a, another missed field goal, unfortunately, a long one. Questionable calls. Uh, Harrison Smith got called for a late hit. Uh, Jeff Gladley looked like he had an interception going the other way for six, but they called a pass interference penalty on him. How do you try to just kind of keep your emotions in check when all that weird stuff is going on at that point? That was a crazy scenario. Like you said, it was really those last five minutes, the touchdown drive that Tampa had, which thought we had stopped him on third down only to see a flag get thrown. And then they get yards tacked on and then down mm -hmm. at the end zone. I threw my helmet on because I thought we had intercepted it. Uh, didn't even know if he was down yet. So as he took off to run, I didn't know where we were going to be getting the ball. And then they call a pass interference. And uh, now they're on the one yard line. They get that in. And and then we get the ball back. You know, I'm optimistic, even with limited time left, that we can get down the field. We've been moving the ball all half. Let's get down there, try to get at least three points, if not a touchdown. And instead we go three and out. We run almost no clock off the, uh, off the clock. And then I uh, have to punt. And... Um, and then they obviously go down on the Hail Mary with the pass interference. So really those three possessions, two by Tampa, one by us, uh, you know, really dug us a hole. You know, and then we went into the half. We come back out. Tampa gets the ball to start. And um, they go down and score. And now it's a, you know, a game where we're, we're uh, playing from behind. So it got away from us there, really, those last three possessions of the first half and then the first possession of the second half. Uh, fortunately, you know, we were able to go down then and get a touchdown and two-point conversion. It was just a very long drive that ate up much of the third quarter. Mm -hmm. And getting, um, we were playing from behind. Getting back to the Hail Mary pass right at the end of the first half. And I, don't, I think the, the statistician said it was the first time since 2008 or nine that there's been, there was a pass interference call in that. Have you ever benefited from a Hail Mary pass like that where a pass interference has been called? Because I've never seen it. Maybe I've seen it once. I can't recall. It was, it's, it's a bizarre call. Yeah, and talking to our receivers, you know, they said they've been a part of a lot of Hail Marys through the years, and it is usually a bloodbath. I mean, they said that usually yeah. Hail Marys are just going to be physical. It's the way it is. To think that, uh, you know, everybody's not going to touch each other is a little bit naive, they said. So they, they, they said usually I'm expecting pass interference on a Hail Mary and that it's not going to get called because that's just the way it always tends to be. Um, so that was interesting to hear from them. You know, when you have a spot foul, it makes throwing go balls and post routes and just putting the ball up for grabs uh, throughout the game. It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat strategic because, you know, as long as it's not intercepted, you're either getting a completion or there's a chance, you know, if the receiver does a good job acting and there's somewhat a physical play, you have a chance to get a 50 yard penalty. Um, so it's just part of the game and you play the game uh, that you have to play. And um, certainly, you know, that was you know, well-managed by them to get the ball clocked with one second yeah. left and throw the Hail Mary and then get the untimed down. As you mentioned, they took the ball the opening of the third quarter. They went down and scored, so you're facing a pretty big deficit. But then you go on, a 15-play, 75-yard drive. In normal circumstances, in a close game, uh, that's a great drive. It's an eight-and-a-half-minute drive. But did you feel like you still had a good chance to, with the two-score game to still have an opportunity to win this thing? Yeah, I mean, at that point, it was it was still a two-score game after we scored. And, um, you know, I think when you had most of the fourth quarter left, yes. I mean, you expected to get the ball back twice at least. 
and you knew if the defense gets a stop in there somewhere with two more possessions, maybe three more possessions, you know, it's all right there for us, uh, especially after we got the two-point conversion. But, um, you know, it it, uh, it was tough then once they kicked a field goal, pushed it to 26-14, mm-hmm. and, um, and then we weren't able to uh, capitalize. You had a big fourth down conversion to our guests coming up in the show, a tight end Tyler Conklin, who filled in admirably for Kyle Rudolph and came up with that big catch on fourth down. And then, hey, it was great to see Irv Smith Jr. back in the lineup. And want to get your thoughts about what he presents, uh, the challenges he presents for defenses, because he seems to be able to find those seams in, in his own defense or what he's looking for. And maybe that's yeah. a sign of maturity early in his football career. Yeah, Irv's an explosive athlete. I mean, I saw it on the play-action pass we had that he caught up near midfield, um, which was not an easy catch. I mean, the free safety's bearing down on him, and he can hear footsteps, but he holds on to it, holds on to the ball. Um, and then, like you said, a savvy play by him on the touchdown to sit in zone and then you know, quickly turn up. I mean, he made what uh, was a longer play feel like a, like a short pass and a short run because of how quickly he can get the ball and turn up field. Great job finishing there on the goal line. Uh, so he, he did a great job, and it was it was awesome to have him back in the lineup and contributing. Kind of a cat-and-mouse game at that point offensively, trying to find the right places to attack the Tampa Bay defense, which could kind of feel its oats a little bit more, and you kind of took the brunt of it. You knew they had a terrific pass rush, and uh, for the most part, they, they had opportunities to get at you. And Antoine Winfield Jr. got, got the, the key sack on a play where it looked like you had an opportunity maybe to go in and score. Yeah, that was a tricky play. Um, you know, we had the, a run call that wasn't going to be good into their blitz, and uh, I had the option to pull the ball and, and mm-hmm. ditch it in the flat. And um, when I pulled it, you know, it, the flat wasn't showing up, and so I knew I was under under duress, and um, uh, you know, took a took a big loss there. And then even the third down after that was third and twenty from from the twenty. Um, you know, felt like we had a chance there as well, and uh, instead, you know, had the sack, and now we're we've been pushed you know, 15 yards, maybe more back from where we were on, on second down, again, making a field goal so difficult. So those are the plays that were frustrating. Yeah. The momentum swings were so obvious, but uh, you have Thielen and Jefferson combining for seven catches for 78 yards. Those are numbers that uh, we you'd like to see a lot more, uh, probably double that at least when you have those, the kind of talent we have in the end, but maybe that's the way the game was dictated at that point when you fell behind. Yeah. I mean, the uh, Tampa Bay defense clearly was was wanting to take them away, and uh, mm-hmm. especially on third down. Um, and we were able to still run the ball effectively. Uh, I think to some degree their desire to take away Adam and Justin helped us on first and second down. Um, but it it did it did make life tough on third down at times. And um, you know that was where you see Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith show up for a touchdown and for a big third and fourth down conversion was because of the way they were defending the rest of the field. And, um, you know, we'll be, we'll have to really talk through and be ready for uh, the next time a defense wants to give, you know, unique looks that uh, try to take certain people away. All right, Kirk, thanks so much for the wrap up of the Bucks game. Coming up next, our guest of the week, tight end Tyler Conklin, who had a career high five receptions against the Bucks. It's game day, any day. Play the new Vikings scratch game for the Minnesota lottery with a top prize of $100,000. Are you game? Just say, I'm in. Get more details at mnlottery.com. From camo and cat food to tools and tires, you'll find it all at Fleet Farm, your one-stop shop. Fleet Farm is the proud sponsor of Under Center. 
Well, Kirk, our special guest today is another fellow Michigan native, uh, tight end Tyler Coughlin, who has become uh, a favorite target of yours under the circumstances right now and a guy whose work ethic is second to none. Yeah, uh, Tyler, it feels weird for me to call him Tyler. So I'm just going to call him Conk the whole interview because that's what everybody (laughs) in the building calls him. And we'll get to another nickname that I refer to him as well. But uh, Conk, thanks for joining us, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, yesterday, or I should say on Sunday in Tampa, you had uh, really one of your best games as a player in the NFL. Uh, now in your third year, career-high five receptions. Obviously, you had a large role going into the game with Rudy being out. Um, talk about kind of your mindset as you prepared for the game and then what you felt uh, on Sunday playing through it. Um, I mean, it was obviously just an exciting opportunity for me. Um, like you said, probably the largest role I've had in my three years. Um, like even going to the beginning of the week, knowing we're beat up, knowing I'm going to you know, have a large role in, uh, in an important game too. Um, and I just, I just tried to attack it the best I could by you know, having a good week in practice and really trying to hunker down and, and watch film and have the best mindset I can have going to that game. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really, it really helped. It was a week that really helped me grow so far. Yeah, that's that's the thing is when you get those reps in practice all week, you get put in that role as, as a larger contributor. It helps you grow as a player. And I've seen that growth in you over the last three years. But it's been great to, to give you that chance to take the next step, which you did on Sunday. You know, five catches, you had a big third down catch, big fourth down catch. You're doing a lot of stuff in the run game and pass protection. Um, talk about the pride you take in kind of being versatile as a tight end. So many people focus on the tight end position as route running and catching the football, which is you know, the big part of it and what guys get paid to do. But so much of the job involves run game and knowing all the different blocking combinations and pass protection rules. And many of our play passes, you don't even go out on a route and you have to pass protect the best pass rusher on the other team. So talk about the challenge that it is to have to be so versatile as a tight end. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but um, challenges are, are always fun. Uh, I think it really started for me, you know, coming into the league my senior year, I, I was split out playing basically wide receiver. And so the whole thing for me coming in was, oh, he can't block, he can't block. Um, you know, he can't put his hand in the dirt, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, from a very early start of my career, I, I really wanted to come in and prove that I could do, you know, everything that a tight end needs to do. And um, obviously with the system we run, you got to be able to do that. And um, like you said, sometimes it's the best pass rusher and those aren't always the most favorable matchups, but uh you can go out there and get it done against a good pass rusher. You know, it only, only helps you build confidence and, um, you know, helps you get better and better to be that overall tight end. Yeah, no doubt. Well, when Rudy went down against Jacksonville and you stepped in, made the big catch in overtime, um, you know, we didn't miss a beat. And Sunday we didn't miss a beat at the tight end position. And that's in large part because of what you were able to do. And, uh, you know, we talked earlier in the year when um, – you know, you were seeing yourself as, hey, I'm going to get limited opportunities and it's my third year and I'm I'm ready to go. I've kind of taken that next step, but I got to wait for that opportunity. And, um, you know, I've always felt that in this league, you know, the cream rises to the top. And if you're good enough, you'll get your chance. And when you do, you're going to show people what what you can do. And I think the last few weeks you've shown that uh, and it's been it's been great to see. So uh, no surprise on my end. Love having you out there. But uh when you come in as a rookie, you know, a lot of players in this league really look to a veteran to see what it looks like to, to you know, learn the position, do your job, know what it looks like day in and day out to be a pro. Uh, what was it like coming in as a rookie, kind of being able to learn from Rudy and, and now his 10 years of experience in this league and how smart of a player he is? Have you been able to kind of use that as an asset to kind of watch and learn from a guy who's done it so well for a long time? 
Yeah, I think you hit it right there with the, how smart of a player he is. Um, but that's something I really noticed from the get-go. Uh, well, the two things I really noticed were how smart of a player he was and um, he was a professional. You know, being in the building early, uh, handling his business, doing the things he does off the field, and um, and then being smart. And obviously those two things kind of go hand in hand. Uh, so I would say those two things um, – from an early start of my career have really kind of helped me on how I should handle my business, kind of how I should approach the game. And um, obviously whenever I need any, have any questions or anything about, you know, we talked a lot about like how to run the Tampa post or, you know, different things like that. And he has, you know, good insight on, okay, run it like this against this, or run it like that against this. And, um, you know, a lot of those things have helped me so far. And especially when you're not getting a lot of the opportunities, you know, might not, might not run a Tampa post or a route like that all year. And then all of a sudden you get in the game, you got to know how to run it. You can't go out there and be like, oh, it's my first time running it because <laughs> um, you might not get that opportunity again. So, uh, right. you know, he's helped me with a lot of things like that. And um, it's definitely been beneficial in my first three years. So, like me, you're from Michigan. So, I kind of have a kindred spirit with you, knowing that we're both from the the great state of Michigan. I've got my little Michigan sweatshirt well, I was gonna on. Say, that's, that that's a nice hoodie right there. I'm repping my, my home zip code from where I grew up. But, uh, uh, you know, we go back and forth about Michigan high school teams and playing in, in Michigan and the different names, the different players we remember going up against. Uh, but when you arrived, you know, you had you kind of grew your hair out uh, at some point. You grew the beard out and you started to look more and more like some character from a Bible movie. And I, uh, I didn't know what to call you. I said, there's got to be a nickname there, some kind of biblical character. And the first one that came to mind was Barabbas. Uh, but he's kind of, you know, known as more of a villain in the Bible. So then, for whatever reason, John the Baptist came to mind. And ever <laughs> since then, I've been calling you John the Baptist. And uh, Sean Mannion, our, our other quarterback, really picked up on that. He liked it. You know, I think he and I share a similar humor. So uh, he started calling you the Baptist. And every time you catch a fade or, you know, kind of moss somebody, we say that you baptized them. Uh, so... <laughs> For the listeners, what are your thoughts on the nickname John the Baptist? Um, I mean, now I'm just kind of used to it, especially Sean. I feel, like, <laughs> Sean. I feel like Sean probably uses it the most, just with the whole baptized thing. or just randomly calling me John the Baptist. Um, still not really sure how to answer to it sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think it kind of fits. And with the whole moss and baptized, baptized thing, it kind of, you know, it's a neat little, little saying, I guess. If anybody has any other uh, biblical character suggestions, I'm all for it. But I don't think you can deny that he looks like he would star in a, in a movie about, you know, some kind of Bible scene. So uh, I'm, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And I appreciate that Sean Mannion has, uh, has adopted it maybe even more than I did. But, <laughs> uh, going back to your background, you have a really unique story. I find I bring a lot of our teammates on this podcast and every single one of them has a unique journey to get to the NFL and to where they are as a player. Yours is especially unique because you did not even go to college to play football. Um, you were a basketball player, and and that was your focus when you went to college. Share with the listeners your journey uh, through even through high school. When you think about some of the adversity you had in high school uh, to get into, you know, being drafted and where you are now. Yeah, I'll try to scan over it quickly, but uh, <laughs> it all started. You know, we were a pretty good basketball school. Um, and football, we weren't very good. We were 0 27 in football going into my senior year. So you um, didn't win a game until your senior year of high school. 
you know, varsity didn't win a game. So I was only on varsity my junior and senior year. But varsity didn't win a game for, for three years. So wow. maybe going to my senior year, I wasn't even sure if I was going to play. I want to kind of focus on basketball. Um, I just got an offer from Northwood after we played in the Final Four and ended up getting a new coach. We played well. I had a good year. We went eight and three. And um, I just didn't really want to give up everything I did for basketball for one successful year of football. So and, you had uh, a great senior year, but really until your senior year, football wasn't the focus. No, not at all. I mean, I was we ran an unbalanced offense. I was like a 165-pound tight end, I guess you could call it. And then we get a new coach, and all of a sudden we're spread, no huddle. I'm playing wide out, wow. and I go and have a good senior year and start getting some a little bit of recruiting. And a lot of people knew I was a basketball player and didn't think I wanted to give it up, which I obviously didn't at the time. And I ended up signing early signing period uh, before my senior year of basketball even started. You know, I didn't really have. Wow. No one in my family ever went to college for – or had a scholarship to go to college and play sports. And um, I kind of jumped on it and ended up going to Northwood. And, you know, I didn't love it. Uh, I don't know if it was just, you know, the change of, you know, being a freshman in college and all that comes with that. Or um, I feel like I kind of undershot myself uh, playing Division two basketball. And uh, so I played seven games there and I ended up kind of starting to talk to people, figuring out if I wanted to go try to play basketball at a mid-major or go play football. And um, I got in touch with actually Michigan State, um, Central Michigan. And then I thought about going to a different school, maybe playing both. And mm. um, I ended up talking to the guy that recruited me from Central Michigan. Um, they said I could come in for the spring, but it wouldn't guarantee me a spot. So I went on, uh, went to Central after my first semester at Northwood. Mm. And uh, I went as a wide out for that, uh, that semester, spring ball. And the last week of spring ball, they moved me to defensive end. Um, I mean, I was probably 205 pounds, just switched from basketball. And I'm like, okay, maybe I uh, – and I just left a full-ride scholarship to go walk on. So my grandparents and people wow. were like, you know, that's kind of – you just gave up free school and took on student debt. So that was another thing going on. And um, so I ended up going home, working um, the construction for the summer, asked to move to tight end because I just – I just feel like I've always kind of been an offensive player. And um, ended up moving to tight end. I had to sit out a year and a half. And wow. um, then I ended up playing a little bit my sophomore year behind a, a senior that was pretty good. And then my junior year, I had my first start against Oklahoma State and had a pretty good game and, you know, kind of built on it from there. And, um, you know, I had a good junior year, went into my senior year. First day of camp, first practice, I go and break my foot, have a Jones fracture. And... Um, you know, I didn't really know how to handle that. You know, I could have missed the whole year trying to, uh, you know, recovering, or I could have tried to rush back and rebroke it and not had a chance to register to do things like that. And I ended up coming back in uh, about seven and a half weeks, so pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I had a good game, my first game back. Probably, I think it was one of my best career games at, at Central. And um, played my last six there and ended up getting drafted. So that's kind of the quick story of it. It's an incredible journey when you think about the fact that uh, you're at a high school program that without that coaching change, maybe you never even really take to football. Yeah. And then you have that coaching change, which starts the process. And then you still go play college basketball. You choose to take an enormous risk, give up a scholarship to walk on and sit out because of the transfer rules. You weren't even eligible to play right away. And take on student debt, and then next thing you know, you're one of the better players in the program, and uh, you end up getting drafted. I mean, it says a lot about your athleticism and the way you've worked to become a great tight end. You mentioned you're only a 165-pound high schooler, and now you're a 240-pound tight end. So it, it shows there's a lot of hard work to get there. 
All right, Kirk, thanks so much. We'll be back with more with our interview with Tyler Conklin right after this on the Under Center with Kirk Cousins, presented by Fleet Farm. Innovative Office Solutions and the Minnesota Vikings are teaming up to put the spotlight on nonprofit organizations doing good in the community that surround us. Nominate a deserving organization by going to community.innovativeos.com. Innovative Office Solutions is the hometown provider of office essentials and furniture to the Minnesota Vikings. Are you all in? Fleet Farm's holiday layaway is back. Get the products you want before they're gone and pay as you go. Christmas just got easier. Fleet Farm, we've got you covered. And welcome back to Understudy with Kirk Cousins. Let's get right back to our interview with tight end Tyler Conklin. You clearly had a good senior year because you were invited to the Senior Bowl, which is a mm-hmm. coveted invite as a college player coming out in the draft. Only the best seniors get invited to that. And you end up scoring a touchdown in the game. And uh, and Clint Kubiak, my quarterback coach, was a coach on the team uh, that you played on. Talk about that week and the role the Senior Bowl played and probably the confidence it gave you to know that you belonged. Yeah, I mean, that was something I kind of had my eyes on, um, you know, going to my senior year. You know, that's a huge accomplishment. It's something I wanted to do and partake in. And, you know, like I said, after getting hurt and only getting half of a season, I'm like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Being a smaller school guy, and that's kind of an opportunity. You get an invite to that, that you can go and show that you can play with the Power 5 guys, and that there's not a huge talent gap. And um, so when I got that invite, and, uh, you know, every time that they come and watch a practice or something, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work my butt off to try to, you know, hopefully get that invite. And then I get a chance to go and kind of prove that, you know, where, wherever you come from, the MAC or, you know, whatever school it is, that, you know, there's not a huge drop off. And, uh, right. Yeah, to score a touchdown in that game and make a big play was um, definitely big and something you're always going to remember. And I think it helped, you know, it was good. Didn't help start building confidence going into the whole process that you got to go in. So. I know you uh, recently bought a house here in Minnesota, uh, and I can see that you uh, got the room decorated with some nice sneakers in the background. Tell me about uh, the shoes you got there and the collection you're building. Well, this is actually the office, but um, <laughs> my girl, my girlfriend really wants me to get rid of all my shoes. And I'm like, all right, my I'll wife do my best. too. She wants I'm me like, to I'll, get rid of them. Yeah, I'm like, I'll do my best, you know, get some nice. So I got some nice boxes, put them all together, and. Um, you know, try to make it as decorative as possible so she would allow me to keep them. But um, <laughs> I got all types of random stuff, a lot of Jordans and some of my nicer shoes in here. But it's really just my way of, you know, her allowing me to keep uh, probably unnecessary amount of shoes without her, you know, secretly getting rid of them. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. I used to order a bunch of Jordans and my wife would look at me like, you can't pull those off, Kirk. They're not for you. And <laughs> yeah, you, I, just, you I don't need them. I didn't want to believe her, but uh, I've now reduced my Jordan collection to only a few of my favorites and, and uh, pretty much given away the rest. So I, I, I know the feeling, but um, I also got to ask you about your two dogs. I know you got two Siberian Huskies. I don't know how you do that with all of our, you know, responsibilities playing. I can't imagine taking care of two dogs, but uh, what's that like? Are you just a, a dog person and just love having dogs? Yeah, I do. My parents actually had two Siberian Huskies when I was growing up, so this kind of a, a breed that I always really liked. And um, I don't know, I just feel like it's maybe the next step in growing up. When I, you know, I got here, I'm living by myself, and you know, when I decided to get a dog, I was actually super nervous about it. So I got my first one my rookie year, and um, you know, it was a great decision. You know, it was just someone, some, some, it's not someone, but you know, someone to spend time with, and um, you know, I kind of helped being in a new place and. 
you know, you come home, you have someone to take care of and something to do. And uh, then my girlfriend moved out here and she kind of missed out on some of, you know, raising my other ones. So she's like, oh, and he needed a friend. They're really hyperactive and trying to wear them out without having to walk them, you know, when it's negative 10 degrees out in the middle of the winter. So I ended up getting another one and she makes it easy on me because obviously with everything we got to do, she, she works, but she has a lot of, we have completely different schedules. So it works out perfect. And I mean, those are like her kids. I mean, she does anything for them. So, um, I mean, she makes it really easy because yeah. she does anything that they need or walks them. And I mean, if they don't have treats and it's 8 PM, she might go to the store and get them treats. You know, those are her, <laughs> her, her kids right now. So. And we're talking to Tyler Conklin, a.k.a. John the Baptist, that you graduated <laughs> with a, a degree in communications, Tyler, from Central Michigan. Is that something uh, down the road you'd like to potentially pursue in some way or another? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going to go with that. I think mm-hmm. maybe eventually to go in. One reason I went in communication was I thought that, you know, once I kind of figured out maybe what I want to do someday, that I could, you know, go get a master's degree or something to kind of more specialize what I want to do. Um, so probably maybe one day down the road, I'll go back to school and, and get something to kind of create a path and using that degree. But right now I'm really not sure what, um, what I would do with it. All right. So going back to John, the Baptist is the nickname. Tell me the story of why you chose to grow out your hair, have the beard and kind of play into that, that look that I'm talking about. I mean, the sole reason for the hair was my senior or going to my senior year of college. I'm like, you know, I want my hair to be out the back of my helmet. I just thought it was, <laughs> as Adam would say, I thought it was swaggy. Um, so going to my senior year, I grow it out, camp star. So I got a little bit hanging out the back of my helmet. I think it's sweet. Um, and I just kind of, I mean, after all that time growing it out and going through the awkward stage, I just kind of had to keep it going. And now I'm so attached to it. I don't know when I'm going to cut it, but uh, I mean, maybe it's the hair that got you noticed. And got yeah, you the mean, senior bowl. It could have helped a little bit. I think it goes along with the tattoos a little bit too. And the beard, I kind of just go through phases with it. You know, sometimes I grow it out and my girlfriend starts complaining about it. She wants me to cut it. Um, but I'm going to try to stick with this this for a little bit this time. Um, see how long I can grow it. Uh, Newman kind of, new kind of inspired me a little bit with how long his beard is. So I'm going to try to catch up <laughs> to him, I think. All right. So we got we got three guaranteed games left this season. Uh, and with Rudy, you know, we don't know when he'll be back, hopefully soon. But obviously your role uh, has been a larger role with Irv and Rudy, kind of up and down the last few weeks uh, with their health. And uh, you've stepped up big time. So what are, what's kind of your focus here, your goals, as we look to these last three weeks and, and uh, how we want to finish this thing and hopefully be able to uh, get some help and be playing in, in January? I mean, this is an opportunity that I've been, you know, wanting to have since I've been in this league. Um, you know, obviously, you can always work your butt off and do the things you want to do to put yourself in the right position. But sometimes, you know, you got something has to happen or opportunity has to, to come about. And, you know, it's come about right now. And now it's just my turn to all these days I wanted it to come. I got to capitalize on it because it could be the only one you get. You could get more. You never know. Um, so really just looking for these next three games to – to kind of build on what you know what we've done and and how I've kind of grown as a player because you know like I talk to people and you can do whatever you want to do in practice you can play really well in practice you can you know make these plays your whole life but you know to to play in a game and to build that experience is completely different um yep. uh, so I think like going out there and getting the game reps and, and being in the huddle for not just you know one or two plays every every so often but to really being in there and getting the flow of a game and seeing how guys are guarding you and seeing how linemen are playing and um, you know, it's a completely different feel than playing 10 or 12 or 15 plays. And, um, 
you know, I've since the Chicago game, I've only felt myself get more comfortable and, yep. um, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to have that feel and really, you know, you feel like you're really going out there and have a major, major part of a game and can really help your team, um, come out with a win. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm really accepting it as a challenge and yeah. trying to make the most of this opportunity. Well, you've done a great job. We talk about depth, you know, at the beginning of the year and, and, uh, being able to have you ready to go such that when we lose Irv and then we lose Rudy, we don't miss a beat. Uh, it makes a big difference for our offense and for our team. So I'm grateful for you that we drafted you, that you become the player you are and that you were ready to go. And uh, you've made a difference for me and for us. So uh, let's make sure we finish these last three games strong. And if we do, uh, you know, believe that we'll be able to play beyond that. So uh, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, look forward to these uh, last few weeks. I appreciate it, Kurt. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, guys, thanks so much. We'll be right back to preview the Vikings game against the Chicago Bears coming up next on Under Center with Kirk Cousins. All right, back with Kirk Cousins. Uh, final home game of the regular season, which is uh, strange to say already, Kirk. I don't know how it feels to you, but it's, let's just start with that. It has been such an unusual uh, season for, for obvious reasons because of COVID and not having the fans at home. We've talked about it throughout the, uh, the course of the season, but now that we're at the last game, uh, w- what has it been like uh, as the season's progressed not to have the fans in particular at U.S. Bank? Well, I think our, our home record says it all. Uh, you know, U.S. Bank was has been a tough place to play because of our fans and the atmosphere we have on game day. Uh, without fans there, you know, we we haven't had that home field advantage, and um, it's it's made it more challenging. Certainly, um, you know, it's those seven home games have gone by fast. I can't believe it's already going to be our last home game of the year. Uh, but finishing with two away games is somewhat unique. So, you know, hopefully we can get this one and uh, finish strong at home. But I'm certainly looking ahead to 2021, excited about hopefully getting fans back in the stands and having that atmosphere the way I'm used to it being at U.S. Bank. So not only, uh, obviously, does the fans help the defense when they're on the field with the noise they can make, but you feel that extra juice when you get some momentum in a home game that's that's been missing at home and you think that has affected you at times? Football is such a game of momentum, and that's the one part that analytics or statistics can't feel is the the, the uh, energy on the sideline or the lack mm-hmm. of energy on a sideline and just the momentum. You know, there are times where you're playing the game and you feel like you have a tailwind behind you. There's other times you're playing a game and you feel like there's a headwind coming against you. Um, and when you have our fans at U.S. Bank and the atmosphere that it's created – you, you have that tailwind and uh, you know, this year because of COVID it's just been a unique year and we didn't have that tailwind, but uh, I look forward to, you know, in future years, getting it back and being able to use that to our competitive advantage. As far as the bears are concerned, you beat them 1913 back on November the 16th in Chicago. You passed for 292 yards that game. Uh, Jefferson had eight for 135. Thielen caught a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, they're feeling their oats a little bit more now after they had that six-game losing streak uh, taking care of business against the Texans. And, you know, they're, they're also fighting for a playoff spot right now. So can't ask for more in terms of competition, a team you're familiar with, and a defense that can be pretty rugged at times. Yeah, I have so much respect for their defense. Uh, they do a great job. They have now for several years. Um, it's a great scheme. They have great players. And uh, they're very much in the hunt just as we are. 
So they're going to come with everything they got, and uh, we have to do the same. But uh, it will be a tremendous challenge, just like it was on Monday night against them a few weeks ago. I expect the same type of, uh, you know, 15-round fight, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to be ready to, to win that game. When you study film of the Bears, is, is Khalil Mack's presence uh, ever present? I mean, when you when you have to be aware of where he's on the field, when you're checking uh, hit the defensive alignment, when you come to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, he's an elite player in our league. Uh, he had a turnover, you know, in our game against him. Uh, you know, had an interception. Um, you know, he's active. He's, he's all over the field, and he's tough against the run. He's tough against the pass. But they also have a lot of depth at other positions. I think Akeem Hicks is one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league. Uh, I think they have two of the best inside linebackers in the league. Uh, have great respect for their secondary, their corners, their safeties. Um, and it's a great scheme. I think Coach Pagano does a really good job as the defensive coordinator in terms of uh, their system. So respect what they do. And as a result, you know, you understand the challenge and the studying you got to do this week and the plan you have to have and all the, uh, you know, checks you need to go through to be ready to play on Sunday and have answers for what they're going to throw at us. Well, this is a unique challenge for the Vikings in December, playing meaningful games. When you look at Chicago at home and then at New Orleans on Christmas Day, then following that up in Detroit. But uh, you are in the conversation. You you, do at least have it in your own grasp to make things uncomfortable for other teams by winning your games. But uh, I know know what the answer I'm going to get. You can only win one on Sunday, and that's the Bears. So you can't be thinking beyond that. But at the same time, you you know what's at stake right now. Yeah, you just focus on going 1-0 each week. And the Bears give us plenty to stay occupied with as we prepare for Sunday. Um, but you, you really feel like you have a lot to play for. Uh, I don't like doing all the mathematical scenarios and talking through percent chances. Um, each week you either win and it's a hundred percent or you lose and it's zero percent. And then when you get done with the year, you add it all up and see where you are. Uh, but I feel very much that we're in the hunt and I feel that, uh, with three games to go, if we do our part, uh, we'll be right where we want to be and in the conversation. So, uh, you know, it starts with the Bears. Don't need to look any further than that. And, um, you know, we need to have a great week as we as we get ready for them. How is your body holding up right now? Because you've uh, you've taken some shots. You've taken some sacks the last three weeks. You've hung, hung in there. But you also ran for 40 yards uh, on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. We ha- didn't mention that. Uh, and I think that's an area we've talked about that you've uh, certainly looked to improve on and, and have taken those opportunities when presented. Yes, again, that goes back to the way Tampa played us and defended us. It opened up opportunities for me to run the football, and honestly, there were probably more there. There's probably some more meat on the bone where I could have run mm-hmm. even more. Um, you know, is an area of my game that I wanted to improve upon this year? I think overall playing off schedule and running has been a – I have taken some steps there as a player, which is good to see. Um, but, you know, we still have three games to go, something I want to continue to do more of. But uh, it, I think it did, you know, help our offense to provide those rushing yards when, when we can. And, um, um, you know, my body's got its normal bumps and bruises, but nothing mm-hmm. beyond that. I'm very grateful for that. And we'll keep praying for protection and keep doing all of our hard work to recover each week and, um, and then go out there on Sunday and play with confidence. On a personal note, I know uh, uh, you got football on your mind, but also family is always so important to you. And there was a time when your family went back home to Michigan. Is there going to be able to gather for – before we go to uh, New Orleans for Christmas, it's kind of an odd week yeah. uh, with with, the, with an unusual Christmas Day game on Friday in, in New Orleans. 
Yeah, playing in the NFL, you've basically accepted that Christmas and Thanksgiving and and really New Year's much of the time will just be different. You know, you're not going to have your traditional Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off or Thanksgiving Day off for as long as you're playing football. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I want to play football a long time. So the more Thanksgivings and Christmases that I don't have <laughs> off, that's a good sign. It means I still have cleats on my feet and I'm still playing. There'll be plenty of time to rest on those days when I'm in my 40s and 50s. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little different. You know, playing on Christmas Day is a great opportunity. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to finish this season on a high note. Well, you don't want to put your feet up too early at, at 40s because Tom Brady at 43 and <laughs> Drew Brees is coming back from an injury. Uh, they're still playing in their 40s. And that's something that Kirk Cousins wants to do as well. I'm a one year at a time guy, so we'll see. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure, you know, as you play longer, you get asked that question and that's good. It means that, uh, you know, you're at least in that conversation, but I've de- I'm definitely a one year at a time kind of a guy. But just, you have the passion for the game. You don't play into your forties just because of the money. You got to love what you're doing. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, at some point, you know, you've, you've, uh, you know, you check the financial box and it's really more about winning and loving what you do and your teammates and coming to work and having a goal. And that's really what it's about. And so, uh, um, you know, that's why those guys play. And, and, uh, that's why I would play, you know, well into my thirties. And, and I, I love playing and, and, uh, again, you just go one year at a time and see where it leads you and see how your body feels. Cause so much changes year to year. Mm-hmm. Appreciate your time, Kirk. Good luck on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. Okay. Thanks, Rosie. All right. Thanks so much, Kirk. We'll see you again next week. An Understander with Kirk Cousins presented by Fleet Farm.